Mark chapter 5. I appreciate everyone's interceding on my behalf this morning for the sermon. There are many times when a preacher is preparing a sermon that the spiritual conflict can be pretty pretty strong. And I've noticed over the years as a pastor, especially those passages of Scripture that have to deal with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the awareness that there's a spiritual battle going on is sometimes very overwhelming to the point to where it even has been known to make preachers physically ill. <clears throat> Today is such a day. I've wrestled with this for a couple of days and all night and early this morning. <sighs> but uh, it is my greatest desire that God would give me the liberty to be able to preach what he has for us this morning in all our endeavors and our humble prayers to seek God's grace in establishing the church when we seek to look at our constitution and confession and all the different points and matters that go along with being a church there's one thing that we cannot forget or lose and that is a desire and longing that the gospel of Jesus Christ be magnified and proclaimed from this church. I say that because I'm humbled by the fact that there was a time here recently where I, as a pastor, had almost lost that sight. And it grieves me that that happened but God has greatly moved in my heart, and I hope and pray that I can share that with you this morning as well. We need to be a church that edifies the saints, that glorifies God. Our main priority needs to be glorifying God. But we also need to, as a church, be reminded of the great commission our Lord has given us, that we should go out into the world and preach the gospel unto all creatures. In Matthew, when our Lord looked on the multitudes, it said he had compassion on the multitudes, for they were faint. Not physically, but faint because of what sin is doing in the world. And they were like shepherds or sheep without a shepherd. And in that moment, he turned to his disciples and asked them, the mediator, or the one mediator between God and man, beseeched his disciples that they pray. I've preached on that text many times, and I'm always overwhelmed by that request that the Son of Man, the only mediator between God and man, would make to his disciples is that he beseeched them, he sought them, he commanded them to pray. Pray ye that the Lord of harvest send forth labors into his fields. Labors not because it was physically strenuous, which it could be, but more so labors because of the great conflict and opposition they would be facing when preaching the gospel. All the gates of hell 
stand in opposition against the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sometimes I look at believers and wonder if they even believe that there is such a thing as an adversary. Yet there is. And when a group of believers, when a church begins to grow in that desire and burden to preach the gospel of Christ, you can be guaranteed that Satan won't be far behind. He won't be far off, as we will see in our text this morning. I want to do something a little different. I pray that you bear with me this morning. I don't know how long I'll be or how short I'll be, but uh, I, I have every intention by God's grace to preach through the entire chapter of Mark chapter 5, but I want to, this morning, try to just give you an overview of all the events and circumstances taking place in Luke, or Mark chapter 5 so that we might have a better understanding when we look at each individual event. So beginning in Mark chapter 5, bear with me, I'm going to read the entire chapter. Mark chapter 5, And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes, and when he was come out of the ship, Immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, day and night, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying, and cutting himself with stones. What a picture of a sinner. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. <clears throat> Excuse me. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. Sovereignty of God and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind and they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. And he was come into the ship. He that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. About Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and how and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. And when Jesus passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. 
And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. And he besought him greatly, saying, My daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had and was nothing bettered, but rather grow, grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and thou and sayest thou, Who touchest me? And he looked around about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith had made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole in thy plague. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and he seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado, and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. And when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him, and entereth in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talathia kumi, which is being interpreted damsel, I say unto thee, Arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked for she was of the age of twelve years. And they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it, and commanded that something should be given her to eat. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Now we have the whole picture. We have this great and marvelous display of Christ's infinite mercy and grace towards sinners as he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And yet, though we see such glorious displays of Christ's great mercy and grace in saving sinners, we also see in these events and circumstances the wickedness and depravity of man in his rejecting and despising such grace. It's amazing that Christ could do such a miracle, for example, in the man possessed by a legion of devils, and yet the whole community want to drive Christ away. It's amazing how the gospel has a twofold effect on people. It will either draw them whom God has drawn into himself, or repel them who are left in their sins. It's amazing how people can experience and see the miracles of Christ and respect on the way they do. We see in this entire chapter the effectual working of God's grace on those whom He's called and those whom He's left in their sins who reject and deny Christ. We see the gospel in its entirety in this entire chapter. For though the witnesses to these great 
displays of mercy and grace are not a few, only three embrace it. Only three. We have first of all an unnamed man possessed by not one, but by many devils who dwells amongst the tombs, isolated and deserted by mankind who always night and day, the Bible says, cries and cuts himself. He lives amongst the dead, and man has deserted him. Man has forsaken him. Man can't tame him. I don't want to get too far in that text because I want to preach on each one. But what a beautiful description of a sinner. That's where we are. That's where we were as sinners. Man couldn't tame him. He was a walking corpse. And yet Christ would cross the sea to deliver one man. I must needs go through Samaria. Oh, beloved, we've got to understand the essence of the gospel. We've got to understand, we've got to pray and understand that as Christ was sent into the world, so He sends us. It takes a lot of labor, a lot of work to preach the gospel. It takes more than simply hanging a track on a door or knocking on a door inviting ones to church. It takes more than giving out uh, tracks or opening up a book table. It takes getting involved in people's lives. Taking an interest where they're at. Going to them and not them coming to us. Reaching out to those whom no one else would go to. But an amazing miracle takes place. No man could tame him. And yet when the whole city comes out and witnesses this possessed man now sitting and clothed in his right mind, the Bible says they feared and they prayed Christ that he would depart. That's amazing. You would think that people would look upon that because they're the ones that try to tame him. They're the ones that try to chain him. They know what kind of man he was. And yet when they come and see this miracle, they don't desire Christ. They desire that He depart. Beloved, this is what the gospel affects on the hearts of those whom He effectually calls and on those whom He leads in His sin. Those reject Christ. Isn't it amazing? Throughout my years as a pastor, it's amazing what you see in the countenance of the congregation. I don't want to open any secrets here, but as a preacher, you learn over the years, you can tell in the countenance of those listening. You can almost see what's happening. Sometimes it's a, an amazing thing. I've seen in a congregation where some people were under heavy conviction, you could see it in their countenance, and you could see how they were uh, responding to the gospel, and they were listening and hanging on to every word, and then on the other side, you see those who are mulling around and watching their watch and looking around. And it always amazes you how some can be so attracted by the gospel while others are left cold and indifferent. It's the power of the gospel, how he effectually calls his people. Christ knew these people would respond this way. He knew he wouldn't have great publicity, but he comes for one man. One man. Have you ever applied such circumstances and situations to your own salvation? What God, what Christ all endured and did to effectually call us unto His grace? 
When you look back as a believer, now that you're saved by the grace of God, and you look back and see God's providence moving in your life, even before He effectually worked in your heart, you see the hand of God stirring in your life even before you were saved. How God manipulated the circumstances surrounding you. Christ came over across the sea for one man. Because after he does this, he goes back across the sea for one man. There was a multitude of people there. Christ knew that. Christ is sovereign. He knows all things. He knew how they would respond. He's God. He knows all things. And yet that did not thwart him for seeking one man. Churches today are looking for quantity. They want to see the multitudes. Christ was interested in one man. Just one. Secondly, we have an unnamed woman who had an issue of blood 12 years. 12 years she had an issue of blood. And the Bible said she suffered many things of many physicians. In fact, she spent all her money. She was poor. She had nothing left. And the Bible says she was nothing better, but rather grew worse. She grew worse. Yet when she presses behind Christ to the crowd and touched his garment, straightway the fountain of blood was dried up and she was healed. Spurgeon has a comment on this text, something to this effect. He said, how foolish was this woman to make such a grave mistake to think by simply touching his garment she could be saved. She could be healed, I mean. How foolish, what a mistake that was. And yet Christ blessed such faith that he allowed his virtue to flow from him to her simply upon her faith. It wasn't the garment. It was her faith. You see, so often when we learn about the doctrines of grace, we make salvation complicated. Oh, you've got to be indoctrinated. I don't believe in doctrinal regeneration. There's no such biblical form. Faith is simple faith in Christ as our Savior and me as a sinner needing His forgiveness and His sins make it so complicated. Christ seen her faith, and though the garment had nothing to do with her being healed, her faith, and that's what He says, your faith has healed you of your plague. We make salvation sometimes so complicated. Oh, simply touching his garment. The amazing thing in that is no one but Christ knew that virtue had gone out of him. No one was privy or aware of the great miracle except her and him. Who touched me? The disciples say, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. Yeah, but virtue's gone out. They didn't know that. The woman did. And what to say? She feared and trembled. She came up to give him the whole truth. I'm telling you, to this day, I, I believe they still didn't know what was happening after it was over. What's he talking about? What's, what, what's he talking about? Virtue. What's going on here? The Lord said, your faith has healed you. Oh. Salvation is such an intimate and private thing between the sinner and Christ. Don't misunderstand me when I say this, but I believe many churches, many Christians have taken the heart out of the gospel. For them, it's just cold, simple facts. You're dying and going to hell. You need to be saved. You need to be repentant. They took in the heart out of the gospel. And by that, I simply mean they've taken the compassion out. Who's touched me? Virtue's gone out of me. 
It's a private matter. And thirdly, we have the daughter of Jairus, a ruler of the synagogues. A ruler of the synagogues. That's going to be an interesting one. Whose only daughter, his only daughter, lie at the point of death. Who, while waiting for him to come and heal her and raise her, dies. In the other Gospels, when you compare them here, it says Christ said, be not fearful, but believe. In the other Gospels, you can hear Jairus' other response when he looked to Christ and he said, that might be so. She might be dead, but if you come, you can still raise her. He still believed that even though she was dead, he could perform a miracle. He could do a miracle. Oh, and Christ was touched by that. We forget the humanity of Christ sometimes. Oh, dearly beloved, don't get so indoctrinated in the doctrines of our holy Christian faith that you forget that it has a lot to do with the heart and the compassions. <clears throat> As thou hast sent me into the world, our Lord said in John 17, so also I send them. How did God send his, his son? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever God so loved the world. God manifested his love towards us, and now while we are yet sinners... You see, those whom God has called and those whom God will call, he does with compassion and love. Sometimes because we're finite and we get so mixed up and so confused and so wrapped up and caught up in just simple plain letter of the law, we forget that when we make the gospel call, it's not only that we're, we're pleading with sinners. Paul said himself, I beseech you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled with God. I beseech you in Christ's stead. I implore you, I beg of you, he said, be ye reconciled to God. Now we know that there's no such thing as universal salvation, but we know that in that gospel call, God is calling effectually his elect, and so we plead with them in the stead of Christ. We're not pleading, so to say, for those who are left in their sins and reject Christ. We're pleading for the, for the elect. We're pleading for the called. And that's how you make the call. You make a general call to all. You tell them all. You need to be reconciled to God. You get tired of Calvinists trying to differentiate between, well, they're probably not called and they're called. There's no such thing. You call all in the gospel. You, you, you beseech them all and let God do his work. That's why evangelism today has lost its power. We've got to understand this. When Christ goes with him, arrives to raise her from the dead, he says he showed up and there were a group of people who were weeping and wailing greatly. Yet as soon as Christ shows up and said, why do you weep? She's not dead, she's asleep. They went from weeping and wailing greatly to laughing him to scorn. Makes me wonder if their weeping and wailing was genuine. Sometimes when we're preaching the gospel, people laugh us to scorn. They mock and ridicule the believer, the preacher, the gospel. Have you ever gone out on the street and preached? I have for 14 years in Germany. It's a little bit different than going door to door. 
and knocking on the door and inviting somebody to church or talking somebody individually on the job. When you go out into the street, when you go out into public, you're going out into their domain. You're reaching out into theirs, and you're confronting them in a neutral place, and it's a whole lot different than simply talking to a colleague at work or a family member. It's a whole lot different to go where they are. Christ went to the tomb. He went to the place where he dwelt. He went where no other man would go. Sometimes we get laughed to scorn. You know, it's not, it's not easy. Listen to me. It's not easy to tell others about Christ. It's not easy to preach the gospel to others. It's, it can be very intimidating. I had some people in Germany who they'd go with us on the streets to help pass out tracks or feed or clothes or whatever it might be. But they said, oh, I, I can't stand up and proclaim the gospel. I can't. And it's amazing over the years how you'd see people who first started out intimidated by telling others about Christ who slowly would, would learn as they began telling and speaking to others about Christ and they would learn the joys of it. And I've heard many speak about the gospel. Listen to me carefully and I do not wish to be offensive. I only wish to bring us to reality who speak well about the gospel, yet God has never used them in bringing one to the light of the gospel. I know the Armenians use that to be a burden. They try to put a task, be like a taskmaster to convince, to coerce people to go out and evangelize. But I'm, I'm just telling you the simple truth. Have you ever, have you ever been used by God in telling somebody about Christ and God use you as an instrument, there's no greater joy in the world. Christians shouldn't be coerced to do that. When I first got saved, we took salvation classes, if you know what that is. We was taught how to speak to other people about salvation. And they even ordered a little book where you had, I'm an atheist, I'm a Catholic, I'm a Mormon. And so you're supposed to take that little book with you. And then if you ran into trouble, just flip that thing open. You had the answer for whatever situation you ran into. I was scared to death when I went out. I really didn't want to go. But that was the Christian thing to do. And it was said over and over from the pulpit. If you're not out there soul winning, you're not right with God. And so... I went, but I was scared to death. I really didn't want to go, and so I went. And people have told me so much about Roman Catholics and how hard they can be with, against the gospel and this and that, whatever. And I thought, Lord, when I go, don't lead me to a Roman Catholic. And so we went around the barracks in Germany and knocked on military doors, talked to all sorts of people. At least the other guy did, and I was just basically a disciple. And then he said, okay, before we leave, you need to talk to somebody. You know, one of them, you have to do it type things. That's okay. So there's a guy in the telephone booth, big old huge guy, comes out of the telephone booth. And I said, okay. And I went up and I said, put up my hand. I said, hi, my name's Audie Shepard. I'm from First Baptist Church down the road here. He said, my name is Jim so-and-so, and I'm a Roman Catholic. And I went, oh, no. 
it wasn't until the Lord revealed unto me from Scripture that it wasn't something that I should do because I'm forced or constrained to. It has, first of all, very first of all, everything to do with loving Christ. And if we love Christ supremely, we're going to have automatically the same desire and compassion he had in seeking and saving those or that which is lost. Something that God teaches. The Lord looked at the disciples. He said, I shall make you fishers of men. In Matthew, which I quoted earlier about him turning to the disciples, pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he, the Lord of the harvest, sends them out. So it's something that God teaches his children. Three different people from three very different backgrounds, yet one thing they all had in common is no man could help them. The possessed man, the man's daughter dying, and this woman with the plague. They've extinguished every help that man could give them. Nothing was left. And you know, God has a way of doing that. Bringing even tragedy in people's lives to open up their hearts and their minds. This last week, I was presented with a question which is for every, don't care who you are, very difficult. Teenager takes his life. The lady wanted to know why. And after he took the pills he took, they said he tried to call somebody. She wanted to know why. Hard question. What's the age of accountability, she asked me. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. Man, I was praying as much as I could in my heart. These women have been preaching for 35 years. It doesn't matter. And I pray and hope that I answered her questions sufficiently. But even after we were finished, she said, yet it still bothers me, troubles me. The world in which we live in today is getting worse and worse. And I'm not telling you anything new, but it's going to get even harder. But let me tell you something. Light is brightest when the world is darkest. It only takes a little bit of light to light a whole room. If we was in this room at nighttime and we turned off all the lights and lit one little candle, you guys probably know that better than I do, but you light one candle that lights the entire room, every corner in the room, if that's the only light in the room. And it's amazing how we see in this chapter how Christ proclaimed the gospel or how Christ healed and saved. Somebody asked me one time, uh, how would you respond to a sinner? How would you tell him about the gospel? I said, well, who are you talking about? Oh, he said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, what's the circumstance? Who am I talking to? 
and they think the gospel is just one fit for everyone. And it is in its essence. But proclaiming and declaring the gospel, this is where people get confused. It's the same gospel. But here, the first man here possessed by a devil, he could not and he would not search out Christ. He would never do that. We've seen in the text, they said, what do we have to do with you? We don't like you. We don't want you. He would have never sought out Christ. Christ had to come to him. Right? Jairus seeks out Christ because his daughter is lying in bed dying. So he seeks out Christ, it says, greatly. And then you have this woman with the issue of blood for 12 years who quietly, unknown to everyone, presses through the crowd and just touches the hem of his garment. You have Christ talking to Nicodemus, said you got to be born again, Nicodemus. A religious man, you got to be born again. In the next chapter, he goes to a woman, the Samaritan woman. What's he tell her? He didn't tell her to be born again. She has to be, right? Isn't that the gospel? She has to be born. But he says, you need water. I can give you water. You'll never thirst. You have blind Bartimaeus. Jesus is passing by. Just passing by. You don't think Jesus knew he was there? Jesus was going to go on. And he calls out, Son of David, have mercy upon me. What do you want from me? You know how we learn that? By going out and proclaiming the gospel. How do we learn that? We learn that from hearing the gospel in church. There are a lot of people in this world with great needs. A lot of people, especially now in this day and age, it's going to get really bad. I mean, even I read even yesterday that they're, they want to get rid of the different departments in the stores, not men, women, and boys and girls. They just want all one whole department. They don't want to have gender. Can you believe that? Now they want to start teaching sex education to kindergartens. It's going to get bad. The gospel is going to get hated tremendously because the gospel is against all that. And then in, the spite, in spite of all of that, we're still called to go out and preach the gospel unto every creature. But Christ would endure so much to deliver one man possessed of many devils and deserted by mankind. He's amazing. We'll get to that, I hope and pray. We're not forgetting Ephesians. We are going to continue that. But it, it's important that we understand that chapter 5 begins after the disciples are out on the sea and they got afraid. And we close chapter 4 with the disciples saying, and they feared exceeding, said one to another, what manner of man is this, that even the wind and sea obey him? And then we go right into chapter 5 and the Lord meets not only a man possessed of one devil, but many. the reason for that you know every time about Christ did a great work amongst the disciples there was an event before that that greatly humbled them In John chapter 16 he tells them you're all going to desert me you're all going to go your own way Peter you're going to deny me three times one of you is going to betray me 
Oh, can you imagine the can you imagine the atmosphere in that room? And then John chapter 14 verse 1 starts out, let not your heart be troubled. They couldn't have received that comfort, that that those words of comfort without being humbled by their own unworthiness. When the Lord fed the five, when the 5,000 were there and he said, okay, you feed them. They said, what should we feed them with? We, have, we, don't, we only have this. We only have a few fishes, a few bread. How can we feed them? The Lord humbled them, showed them their insufficiency by themselves. And then he said, bring them to me and let me do it. And they fed 5,000. They were out. They're amazed. So often God will greatly humble us before he greatly uses us because he knows the pridefulness of our hearts. Oh, the disciples were still reveling from this sea, from the storm, and who this man is. Who is this man? Oh, looking forward to looking into that. Christ didn't seek applause or approval. He knew that only one man would be healed from all of this, yet he'd cross the sea, even take his disciples through a lot of storms to get there. He'd go a long way for this one man. He didn't seek applause or approval of men. He sought out sinners where no man would go. In the mountains and tombs, he faced the ridicule of the scorn of of unbelievers, and when his virtue had gone from him, he privately forgave her. He didn't seek applause. Or approval. And beloved, so must it be with the preaching of the gospel. We must not seek men's applause or approval. It might just be one. It might just be two. In all our years preaching in Germany on the streets, 14 years to the homeless and the drug addicts, and that pastors come over and visit us, and they say, well, how many of you seen truly converted? I said, I, I couldn't tell you. I'm like, oh, you're not keeping count? I said, I couldn't tell you. I'm like, he said, how do you know? I said, because I, I don't know exactly what God is doing in their hearts. We've been doing it this is 14 years. And he said, oh, yeah, you got to keep count. I said, why? I said, my responsibility is preach the gospel. And we did. We preached it. We fed them food. We gave them clothes. We housed them. We did everything. You know, there's much more to go along with the gospel. People don't understand that a lot of times with the gospel. It's also getting involved individually in people's lives. That means helping them. That means supporting them. That means that means doing good works. That means that goes along with the gospel, not just preaching, but doing good. And it was our prayer always that one day in heaven, the fruits of our sowing the seed will be seen. If you look for fruits now, you'll always get disappointed. If they look for, if the average Baptist church looked for fruits in chapter 5, they'd been disappointed. What? We went all that way across the sea and only one guy was helped and then we left? Christ came a very far distance, did he not, from eternity. He came from eternity beyond to earth and humbled himself. Humbled himself. Why? That he might seek and save that which is lost. Well, what was that was lost? Well, if you're saved this morning, it was you and you and you. And he went a long way just for you and me.
It's amazing. It's a wonderful thing to rest as Christians in the doctrine of divine election. But it's even more blessed to know that in an intimate, personal way. That it wasn't merely the elect, but I am, I am one of the elect. He came to seek and save me. We must be willing to seek, must be willing and ready to seek out sinners, even in those places that are inconvenient and isolated. Nobody wanted to go where this man was. We must be willing to preach the gospel to every creature. Our Lord said in Luke 14, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be full. Why did he say that, highways and hedges? Well, that's a, that's a reference to those places that are low, places that are dirty, that are places that nobody else would go. He looked at the Jews and he said, you're too religious. You see, the harlots are entering the kingdom of heaven. Harlots and sinners are entering the kingdom of heaven before you. He came to seek and save that which was lost. What's lost? Everybody is. But they don't realize that. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners and the repentance. Are there any righteous? No, there's none righteous. But those that acknowledge themselves to be sinners by God's grace, he said, I've come to call them. I've come to call the ungodly. I remember one time on the streets while we was preaching to drug addicts. One guy came up and he said, what, 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 what makes me available? What makes me worthy of salvation? How can I? I said, well, the requirement for salvation is this. And he was just all ears. I said, that you realize that you're ungodly and wicked and that you have no, no favor with God. You know, he looked at me and tears welled up. I'm serious. And he said, I fit that very much. I said, we all do. People just don't realize it. You're not worthy. Sometimes when I hear people who know the doctrines of grace speak about the gospel, they sound as though they're worthy. I'm the worthy elect. I'm the elect. Oh, then I hear the Jews coming up to Christ and say, we'd be the seed of Abraham. And Christ said, yeah, I can raise up these stones. But they were proudful. Because they had the covenant. They were proudful because they were the chosen of God. That's why God cut them off and brought them to the Gentiles. Our election should never make us proudful. But humble. And create in us a longing to go out and tell others about Christ. That we might be used of Christ to make that calling that he can call in his sheep. Huh. You see, that's why the plea, that's why the, the Puritan reformers understood that. When they were making the gospel plea, they sounded like Arminians. But you know what they were doing? They knew there was God's elect out there, and they knew that the Spirit of God was pulling at their hearts, convicting their hearts. And they knew, like that Philippian jailer, when he came out, and he said, "What must I do to be saved?" They needed to have an answer. So Spurgeon and Whitfield, Wesley, all of them would preach. This is the answer: repent of your sins and turn to God. And that inward effectual calling, oh, it lightened up on their hearts and they turned by the grace of God. Let us believe in the doctrines of grace. Let us believe in, if you want to use thematic Calvinism, but let us preach like Arminians. Paul told Timothy, be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. The afflictions, the afflictions of the gospel. 
Beloved, that afflictions would accompany the preaching of the gospel is not because of those who proclaim it, but because of the world's hatred for its message. Sinful man despises and rejects the gospel of Jesus Christ. The divine truth which is evident in Mark chapter 6. Let me just read these verses. Stay with me a few more minutes. Look at Mark chapter 6. When chapter 5 is over, look at Mark chapter 6, verse 1. And he went out from thence and came into his own country, Nazareth. And his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Wisdom and works, they see it. It's manifested. Yet look what they do. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Hoses and Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto him, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them and he marveled because of their unbelief and he went around the village's teachings it says there he could there do no mighty work it's amazing that Christ would almost admit that he couldn't do any mighty works he was hindered to sovereign God but unbelief is a terrible terrible sin Beloved, herein lies this divine exhortation and warning to those who live and abide where the things and truths of Christ are familiar. They were familiar with him. They knew him. Here is a danger, and you listen to me, especially you children. You listen to me. When you abide in a home that makes the things of Christ familiar, you are in the greatest danger of ignoring that. It's an unbelief which is exceedingly sinful. God help us to not make the things of Christ familiar in our homes and amongst our relatives. Is this not the carpenter? Is this not Christ? Oh, I grew up hearing about Christ. It was a familiar theme. Oh, never make it a familiar theme. Always make it the most important For this kind of unbelief is exceedingly sinful. And you know what? We have no record. We have no record in Scripture that Christ ever returned to Nazareth. There's no record that he came back. I'm just not coming here anymore. When our Lord told the disciples, when they don't receive you, you wipe your dust off your feet, you go away, to there's exhortations and warnings in the scriptures that we've always we should always be making clear to people, to our loved ones, our families and neighbors. Because it's something that could happen where God just simply deserts a family, a home. You know what's happened to America? Same thing's happening to America, the same thing happened to England. You know what England used to be called? Island of the Saints. You know why? The gospel was gloriously proclaimed in England. Follow history, wherever the gospel was proclaimed, where God, God always blessed the preaching of the gospel. Follow the Reformation. Follow the Puritans. Follow history. And you'll see every nation that had the greatest light has now become the greatest darkness. And look at America. We've had more light than any other nation before us. And look at the depth of depravity we're sinking into. 
I'm telling you, it's going to get bad, and we've got to preach the gospel, and we've got to be aware, and we've got to be recognize that afflictions come with it, like here in our text. The love of the church of God has been given a great commission, and though the world may despise, reject, ridicule, persecute, and hate us for it, I pray God would give us grace to follow our Lord's glorious example and faithfully, prayerfully, courageously preach His glorious gospel unto all creatures, knowing knowing that all power is given unto Him. Why do you think He said that? Do you think He just said that for disciples' sake in Matthew 28? Matthew 28? All power is given unto me. He said it for all the churches, down through the history, down through every generation. All power is given unto me. And lo, he said, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. That's where we get our strength. All power is given unto him, and lo, he's with us unto the end of the world. May God give us grace to go out and preach the gospel. May we seek those that no one else would seek. May we be aware of people's needs. May we notice the pain and the agony, and may we be stirred in our hearts to reach out with the gospel and also reach out with helping hands where needful. And I only have this to say in closing, and we I'd like to get into Mark, and we will, Lord willing, but I haven't forgotten Ephesians either. But uh, I want to close just simply with this, something that the Lord told Aaron and his sons to bless the children of Israel, and it is this. Now may the Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord. Lord, there's so much in this chapter. There's so much going on. There's so much we can learn. There's so much we need to learn. Lord, you yourself said these last days shall be perilous. Men men shall be lovers of themselves. Lord, you said that scoffers are going to arise. A lot of things are going to happen. They're happening now before our very eyes. Lord, you've raised us up in this generation. Lord, you've called us. Lord, in your sovereign providence, Lord, you've birthed us for this time. Give us grace, we pray, to courageously, faithfully, prayerfully, humbly, perseveringly preach the gospel, Lord. Give us a burden for the lost. Help us, dear God, we pray, that we would continue in prayer, that you would send forth labors in your harvest, that you would use us like Isaiah, Lord, when he said, send me. I pray that, God, you'd give us a desire, a burning desire for this community and those around us, that we would reach out with the gospel. Lord, help us to pray that you would open doors and help us to see those open doors. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.